Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from The Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. The beginning of a new year can bring the opportunity to evaluate certain aspects of a person's life, perhaps to set new goals and make some changes. Greg Jantz of the Center, A Place of Hope, leads us off for this edition of the podcast, offering some direction on setting a course for 2023. And Jesse Weiss of Prison Fellowship joined me recently on The Meeting House. He actually spent time in prison. While he was there, he had some keen observations that have assisted him in prison ministry leadership. You can find out more coming up. And on this edition of The Intersection, on this year's Martin Luther King Day, I presented an interview with Leonidas Johnson, who shared a biblical worldview perspective on issues surrounding race, race relations, and the church. You will be hearing material from that conversation. Finally, Caitlin Skaggs, who writes for Inspiration Ministries and has a leadership and lifestyle blog, discusses the importance of women seeking fulfillment in a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. With some material appropriate for the new year, the founder of the Center, A Place of Hope in the Seattle area, Greg Jantz, discussed some principles that a person can apply as he or she seeks to make changes in his or her life. He has authored dozens of books, including Five Keys to Health and Healing, Hope for Body, Mind, and Spirit. Here now from that recent conversation is Greg Jantz. Hope always comes if I have a plan. What's my plan? Well, what do I need? Do I need outside support? Do I need somebody to hold me accountable? Do I need a counselor? Do, what do I need um, to really pull this off? And by the way, it's not too late to decide, okay, here, here's my three or four things I'm willing to commit to this year. Uh, not too late. Let's, let's look at what do I need to do now uh, for that. And it can really be encouraged. This can be the year, you know, um, Freedom in 2023, this could be the year that some past struggles you really find yourself being set free from. But you've got to be willing. Okay, I've got to do the hard work. I've got to be willing to maybe it's see somebody. Maybe, you know, I, I've, I've been doing this for 39 years here at the Center of Place of Hope, and we work with folks from all over the country who have been stuck with depression and anxiety, and sometimes you have to decide to do something different. When we talk about that notion of hope, and you've touched on it, I think, already in our conversation, I wanted you to drill down just a bit, kind of dig into this concept of hope. Of course, we recognize that that Jesus Christ is our source of hope. The Bible says Christ in you is the hope of glory. And so when we talk about true biblical hope, tell me what that looks like from your standpoint. Hope means I have to have a plan. Hope means I'm going to have faith in God. Hope means I'm going to pray for discernment, Lord God, or wisdom. Show me what I need to know in order to to do this. But I've got, and and sometimes there's a missing piece of the puzzle. Lord, show me what's the missing piece of the puzzle. Why do I keep having this struggle over and over and over? And we're, you know, instead of praying, oh Lord, free me of this habit, it might be show me what's missing. Give me the wisdom to know what I what do I need to attend to. Hmm. So just keep that in mind. Um, and so hope comes for me when I have a plan, but I gotta build that plan on a faith foundation. So you talk about freedom, 
in 2023, and people may have gone through this ritual, if I can call it that. I mean, you look back 2022. Yep, I set out to do X, Y, Z. Uh, 2021, I said, well, I was going to do the same thing, and I kind of gave up on it. 2020, 2019, you talked about a missing piece. Perhaps there's a reason we may set out to set goals, to have some sort of personal wellness plan or, or whatever, and we don't follow through. We we fail, essentially, or at least we feel like that we fail temporarily. So what have you found commonly, based on the people you've worked with, is a reason that people do fail to keep these these resolutions or these intentions or even fail, even though they've, they've got a plan or they think they have a plan, they don't end up completing that. And so therefore they miss their goals. So what do you find contributes mainly to that? Um, it is usually something emotional, something from the past that they need to forgive. Mm. I, I don't mean to oversimplify it, but usually there's something in their life they need to be set free with forgiveness. It could be a past trauma, past abuse, uh, forgiving oneself, but there is a issue of forgiveness. Forgiveness, it, it's like it, it opens up. Um, a sense of freedom, a sense of optimism. It's hard to be optimistic for your future if I'm full of resentment, if I'm full of bitterness. Greg Jantz here on The Intersection. You can learn more by going to aplaceofhope.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's Jesse Weiss. He serves as Vice President of Program Design and Evaluation for Prison Fellowship He oversees the expansion of the ministry's good citizenship model. In a recent conversation with me, he shared about his faith journey, how God met him in prison, and how his prison experience has been useful in his role at Prison Fellowship. Here now from that conversation is Jesse Weiss. You know, a lot of that is is just built off, um, I think, a lot of... um, Well, it's built off research, for one, um, and just looking at the criminal justice system historically... Uh, but a lot of it is just observational and, and just personal experience. And I think one of the things that I realized when, when I when I walked out of prison, I one of my first real jobs um, was I was actually working for Prison Fellowship, and I I managed a caseload of about 75 men who were just getting out of prison and um, were uh, you know wanting to do the right thing in, in Prison Fellowship at that time, where we, we were providing some reentry services and, and just really trying to help men get connected with the local church and an employer and um, a mentor and things of that nature. And, and I remember, you know, just, you know, t- telling men time and time again, if you act like you're allowed to act like in prison, there's only one place that you're going to go back to, and that's prison. Because prison has its own culture and its own norms that exist. For example, you don't look people in the eye when you're in prison. You don't use first names when you're in prison. You don't associate with people who have a different ethnicity of you or a different, um, sometimes even geography than you. Um, And so there are a bunch of unwritten rules that you need to learn very quickly in order to be um, successful, if you can be, in prison. And by successful, I mean safe. 
And, you know, if you're allowed to live by those rules, as you, you know, on the outside, when you get released, it, nobody, nobody lives by, by those norms. And so mm. when we think about prison programs and the billions of dollars that we spend across the country, whether it's from faith-based organizations like Prison Fellowship or even state or federally funded programs, that, you know, they all take place within a prison culture. And, you know, when that culture um, is toxic, it can detract from the goals or the outcomes of those programs. So there's a lot of really great programs, um, but when they are allowed to, you know, when they live in when it's a toxic environment, um, it really uh, kind of steals from the efficacy of the program. And, you know, and when we just look at the prison system as a whole and we talk about what it, what should the success be or, or what is success for the prison system? We really look at what, what one um, from one metric, and that's called recidivism, which is basically what rate of return is there uh, that people come back into the criminal justice system. So it's a failure rate. So what rate do people fail? And, uh, you know, and what we're positing here at Prison Fellowship with a good citizenship model is that that metric is insufficient. Um, you could have somebody get out of prison and live the rest of their life underneath the bridge, um, not be contributing to society, um, and that they would be considered a success. And, you know, I, we don't believe a prison fellowship that um, that is um, a, a good measure of success. Uh, we want people to thrive. We want people to flourish. We want people to achieve their God-given potential. And particularly, you know, as we reach out to churches, we want the churches to encourage and, and promote that that success metric and not just be satisfied with the, the fact that people just aren't returning to prison. And so, you know, what we're doing here at Prison Fellowship is providing um, tools and, and resources for states um, to use and utilize to try to shift the conversation to what success should be in the criminal justice system as it's more aligned to what we would consider on a biblical basis um, that, the, that that success should look like. And, and a lot of that is just really found, founded on this idea around the kingdom. Um, and so if you read, you know, the New Testament, Jesus talks about the kingdom a lot. And when, when we think about that, you know, the kingdom has an economy and a culture and a way of, a way of conducting itself. And that, when you are exposed to that, even though you may not believe in it, but you're exposed to it, it impacts you in significant ways. And so, and we know that just in, you know, organizational culture, we talk about business culture, corporate culture, church culture, all of that is really important, but we really haven't brought that into the prison setting. Hmm. And we think at Prison Fellowship, it's time that we do so. Jesse Wees here on The Intersection. You can learn more about the ministry by going to prisonfellowship.org. This is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. Through that Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection Podcast and the Meeting House program. There are links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as its Apple Podcast feed, Plus, there's a link to the Faith Radio YouTube channel where you can watch video material from Meeting House guests. Plus, through the Meeting House homepage, you can find links to two blogs. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. 
and you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming menu at faithradio.org. Also, conversations from the Meeting House can be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Search for Faith Radio Podcast when you visit Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and other podcast platforms. Next on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Leonidas Johnson. He is host of the Informed Dissent Podcast and author of the book entitled Raising Victims, The Pernicious Rise of Critical Race Theory. In our recent conversation, he contrasted the views of Martin Luther King Jr. with the principles of critical race theory and offered observations regarding race relations from a biblical perspective. Here now from that conversation aired on Martin Luther King Day, this is Leonidas Johnson. The famous saying of, I, I dream of a day when my children will not be treated by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character, uh, encapsulates uh Everything we think about when we talk about Dr. King, it's this idea of pushing for a society where we can see each other as individuals and we don't see each other based on skin color. And, you know, one of the things that comes up is that people say that, oh, colorblindness, when you, when you say the idea of colorblindness, you're saying that you don't see color. And it's ridiculous because everybody, obvious, you obviously see color and everybody looks different, but that's not what colorblindness is. And that's not what Dr. King was talking about. It, it was this idea that, yes, we are all different and we recognize our differences, but we don't make snap judgments based on those differences. I'm not going to treat you differently just because you have a different skin color and I don't know your content of character. And that's what he was talking about. And yeah, critical race theory, again, is the exact opposite. It, what it does is it says that because you're white, you have this sense of collective guilt and you're responsible for all the horrible things that, that a white person did in the past that you have no relationship whatsoever. I'm not even saying, they don't even have to be your ancestor. It could just be another random white person from history. And then somehow, because you share a similar skin color with that person, then you are responsible for everything they did and you have to pay penance for that. And then on the flip side, if you have dark skin like I do, then you're somehow uh, a victim. You're somehow collectively victimized by the things that happened in the past, and we carry that into the present. And so it, it's this sense that everything must revolve around race. Everything must be lifted to the to the epitome of, of racial identity politics. And it's the complete opposite of what Dr. King was teaching. And it's complete opposite of, of where a healthy society should be should be marching toward. Because if you want to de-emphasize racism, like if you want to reduce racism as, in a society, the most logical way to do that is to de-emphasize race itself. So from a Christian worldview perspective, let's pivot just a bit now. And Leonidas, I'd like for you to share with us from a Christian worldview perspective, how does the Bible address racism and how can we incorporate its principles in really addressing these issues that you've pointed out to us? Yeah, I would. I, I mean, first of all, I would agree that racism clearly exists. And a lot of times I, I will get attacked for that. Anytime I bring up these these issues uh, and, and I, I criticize critical race theory, people will say, oh, how can you say racism doesn't exist? <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Clearly, there, as long as there is sin in the world, mm. as long as we are imperfect humans, 
there will be racism. And honestly, if racism disappeared from the earth tonight, tomorrow people would be hating each other for other reasons, for you know, the shape of earlobes or, or something. You know, <laughs> so there's always going to be there's always going to be that. It's always going to be there. But uh, from a biblical perspective, God does care about justice. You know, and He cares about uh, about righteousness. So yeah, when we're treating each other differently based on race, and I would say critical race theory is racism. Critical race theory is treating people differently based on race, and it is the antithesis of the gospel and what the what the biblical worldview would be. And it's it's anti-justice. It promotes itself as justice, but it's anti-justice. It promotes itself as anti-racism, and it's actually racism. So uh, I always like to say the kingdom of God is not segregated. You know, when we when we all go to heaven, well, there's not going to be a a black section of heaven. <laughs> there's not going to be a white section. A brown section. It, it, the kingdom of God is not segregated, and so we see each other as individuals, as brothers and sisters in Christ, and we treat each other that way um, as different parts of the body of Christ, and who have different functions in the body of Christ. And that's not dependent on race. That's dependent on calling. You know. So uh, I, I think that that is the antithesis of critical race theory. I think colorblindness and moving toward a post-racial society is exactly what the gospel calls for. Leonidas Johnson here on The Intersection. You can find him online at Leonidas, that is spelled L-E-O-N-Y-D-U-S, johnson.com. This is The Intersection Podcast. Caitlin Skaggs, who writes for Inspiration Ministries and for her own blog, highlighted the importance of Christian women finding significance in the Lord. In a discussion on the Meeting House program centered on her book, Worth It and Wonderful, Inspiration for Christian Women to Live Bravely and Boldly. From that conversation, here now is Caitlin Skaggs. When I first became a blog writer, it was just about everyday things. Motherhood and and how to um, be a great mom or how to be a great leader. But I realized I was neglecting a dimension within my writing. I was only taking it so far, and I was missing the faith foundation that changes everything for me, that that shapes and informs everything I do from the way I parent to the way I lead in the workplace. So truly, it took me being brave um, with my writing because I went through a lot of doubts of who am I to do this and why me and I'm just really doubting myself, and I had to find my confidence in the Lord and then the message that I believe he's given me, and also in using the skills that he's given me, right, being a good steward with my writing and my speaking and giving it back to him by using it to point others to a relationship with Christ and to a faith-shaped perspective for living. So if you would, please describe what you see as the, the main concept or the main messages that you wanted to communicate through this book? Yeah, this book is written to tell women that they can live a beautiful, bold, and brave life because of who God says they are. It's not about who the world says they are or should be, but it is in the pages of Scripture, and it is in the very foundation of who God made them to be that sets them up for a life that is filled with joy and just can be a fun exploration. I keep coming back to these words of joyful exploration Hmm. because who we are in Christ really should radiate and really should be life-giving. And and unfortunately, I just see too many women who that's not the case for. They're feeling burnt out or insecure 
Um, and that's not the life that we're designed to have as believers. All right. So if someone is feeling how you just described, that's you're saying, hey, Caitlin, you're telling my story. I'm I'm feeling, well, overwhelmed, maybe, maybe burnt out, mm-hmm. not really enjoying the life. I know God's got something better for me, but I'm just not able to to get there. I'm not experiencing the joy that God has intended. So somebody knows something's not right. So how does one make the shift? Great question. And I think there's kind of a twofold approach. I think there's some important internal work to be done as far as prayer and scripture and learning more and more about who God says you are. So that piece has to be happening because that's the foundational faith piece. But now with that comes some practical steps, wrapping yourself in Christ-centered community and just being honest and vulnerable. It's really hard to say the words, I need help or I'm feeling burnt out. But once we invite others into those hard places with us, others who love the Lord especially because they can point us back to Him as we work through it, um, that's when we see the change happen. That's when we see the transformation. So the twofold piece of doing the work yourself to pursue the Lord and pursue what He says about you, but also inviting others into the hard parts to walk with you in that. Well, there is a term called self-care. And of course, here at the Mm -hmm. beginning of the year, people are looking, perhaps making an evaluation of their lives, making what we call New Year's resolution. I prefer to talk about a reset in our spiritual Mm -hmm. life. So there's the the contrast that I understand that you really draw in this book between self-care and a term that you use, which is soul care. So what's what's the difference? And biblically speaking, how can we have that care for our souls? Yeah, I do think it's so important that we take it past self-care. To me, self-care are some of the really nice things we do to honor our physical selves, be it exercise or good rest or even some treats like uh, maybe having a day to yourself to go get your nails done. But things like that can't fill the God-sized hole that we have in our heart, the need we have to connect with our Creator, the need we have to be in the Word um, and in connected to the Lord. So I say we have to look to our ultimate model. We have to look to the scriptural accounts of how Jesus lived. He makes the way for us. Um, He shows us what that should look like. And in Scripture, we saw that He got up early in the morning, and He went out, and He prayed. He made time for that important work before anything else began because he knew that that was foundational to taking care of himself. And he shows us how to do it, and it's documented in Scripture that he did it. So I think that's something we all need to open our eyes to. Caitlin Skaggs here on The Intersection. You can find her online at boldlypursue.com. Well, we are nearing the end of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can connect through meetinghouseonline.info or through the programming menu at faithradio.org. Through the Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection Podcast and the Meeting House program. Also, you can find links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as its Apple podcast feed. And you can find a link to the Faith Radio YouTube channel, where you can view conversation highlights from Meeting House guests. 
Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or you can go to the programming menu at faithradio.org. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.